When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first 2-in-1 removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. All right, it's Film Study with Ken McCusick. This is our offense episode, looking back at the week eight. But, of course, there's been other news today as the Ravens also made a trade, so we're going to have to get into that as well. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing all right. Uh, today we're going to talk a little about the offense and, and this Panthers loss, 36-21. And um, I feel like part of what we're going to have to talk about is the running game failing, and the Ravens quickly kind of went out and tried to address it today? 
Yeah, they, they, I guess they tried to address it. It's a wide receiver running back that they acquired. I, I would equate this guy to be something, you know, he's more of a pass-catching running back, a third-down running back. The surprising piece of information I found about him was looking out on PFF and seeing that he'd been a plus pass blocker for all four years of his career, which I wouldn't expect out of a guy who's a wide receiver right, running back. Right. But, you know, I'm told, think Danny Woodhead. He's that kind of, you know, a very medium build uh, muscular dude, and uh, you know he's had 11 yards per reception, so it's not like he doesn't contribute in that way as well. But uh, hopefully he'll be a a third down back who can provide some pass blocking and provide a little bit more in terms of yards per touch than uh, Buck Allen has so far. Yeah, um, it's interesting how trades are now starting to become a regular part of the NFL. We've had it in baseball for years and the NBA for years, and. I know base, for baseball deadlines, Twitter goes crazy with waiting for the Orioles to do something. Not this past year. Well, this past year was waiting for them to dump people. And it's interesting yeah. because we had the conversation just yesterday about how people were saying, oh, well, trade everyone. You lost two games in a row. The season's over. Mm-hmm. Uh, then today we had Twitter of everyone saying, all right, Ravens, just do something. Right. I mean, it's, it's, you get that all day long. It's kind of like the first day of free agency. You get the same thing. Come on, all the good players are going, you know, and right. everybody's everybody's uh, upset about what's happening. But, you know, there are a handful of trades today. The trade deadline has never been a big deal in the NFL. They never have a lot of trades. But had a surprisingly large number of players change teams this year, and it's more and it's more significant players than we've seen in the past. We had HaHa Clinton Dix went to the Redskins. We had Dante Fowler, a top pass rusher from the from the past draft, went to, went to the Rams, a big trade there. Uh, Ty Montgomery to the Ravens, Golden Tate for, I believe, a third-round pick, went to the Eagles. That's a lot of change to give up. Demarius Thomas went to the Texans. That's a big acquisition for them. Uh, you know, one of the guys that people thought might move but did not is Le'Veon Bell. He's still uh, in the same old place. Right. Um, yeah, and those are all moves that happened today that you mm-hmm. mentioned. That doesn't count Amari Cooper – and um, Josh Gordon, or, or that's true. It doesn't, and it doesn't count uh, Khalil Mack or any of these that's other true. trades that there, happened there, a little there, bit earlier. Right. There's been some big names moving around yeah. this year, um, but no RG three, which is kind of surprising to me that RG three is still in this organization. That no team saw him as a guy that they could get on the field. I, I don't think we've had quite the spate of injuries necessary at quarterback to generate that demand for RG3. And, and uh, the more we get removed uh, from him getting any playing time, and remember now it's been eight right. weeks since sure. he's seen the field, nine maybe, uh, you know, it, it becomes less likely that, that anybody's going to want to take a chance on him as their starter. All right. Um, we've talked about how this offensive line is extremely banged up. Where there are no opportunities, why not an offensive line? today yeah i mean it's a good question i've had that question come up on twitter a little bit today so i'm going to try and answer it now as best i can i mean one one of the one of the things i think is that the offensive line talent that may have been available was probably overpriced at least from the ravens perspective and if you look at it from the ravens perspective they probably think we have a lot of guys who are just above the replacement level in fact the ravens actually have are pretty deep in just above the replacement level players whereas a, a lot of teams carry a couple of guys who are right at the replacement level. The Ravens are, are you know, have, you know, m- maybe seven deep in guys who are who are a little bit above it. Uh, it's it's makes it less likely and less attractive to make a deal for an offensive lineman when you have a little bit of depth like that, even if none, none of the depth is really all that good. And 
you know, the pricing obviously on the on whoever was available, and no offensive line were traded, by the way. So right there, that'll tell you that that there wasn't a whole lot available. Right. Um, you know, it it just had to be too too steep a price for the Ravens to consider. So I, I understand the, the the frustration with the offensive line. I'm absolutely broken up about Stanley's injury personally and what that what that might mean. We don't know yet. We haven't heard yet uh, what. Uh, uh, what the significance of it is, but tomorrow we'll start getting indication from injury reports from practice if he's going to miss time or not. So uh, uh, obviously a potentially very, very serious development for the Ravens. Right. Um, one more thing about Ty Montgomery. The Ravens were clear to say we're still carrying four running backs. Where do you fit him into the depth chart? Like, well, Is he it, the main guy all, or is he way back there working his way up? I mean, he's gonna he'll get touches, and I think he'll be. Uh, you know, we, you wouldn't trade anything for him if you if you weren't gonna get touches from him because he is a half year rental. He's an eight game rental, and he becomes an unrestricted free agent. So you have to compete with the, everybody else for his services. Now the Ravens may find a player who fits, and they may, you know, be able to sign him for the future or find a way to sign him because he fits better here than he fits other places. But they will have to compete for his services at the market price. Right. After the season is over, so they're going to get him touches. They're going to get him playing, and uh, and I think that uh, he'll be a regular component of third down situations. I've been a little surprised at how little Buck Allen has been used for anything other than um, uh, pass catching in the last few games. He d- he did not have a carry against the Panthers in the previous game. I believe he had one carry uh, against the Saints. So he really hasn't been used the last couple of weeks, and so he's only been used as a receiver. And uh, and as a receiver, he had, he did have five targets in this last game, caught three balls for 18. But again, we're seeing you know six yards per touch. Six. It's not what you want out of a running back. You you want somebody who can contribute a little bit more than that. And and uh, the guy they're getting, Ty Montgomery, had over 11 yards per catch this year. And I don't have his career stats in front of me, so I won't comment. But he's he's been a higher yards per catch guy as a combination slot receiver and running back. Okay, all right. So, he, but he's the guy who's going to get in on some plays, not just a special teams guy. Oh, for for sure. And he's I don't really I don't even think the Ravens really want him for the for the return game. I think they they want to continue to use Chris Moore in the kick return game would be my guess. And I he's never had a punt return in his NFL career, so okay. I don't have any reason to believe they'll start using him for that. All right. And they, they did cut Albert McClellan to make this move. And I don't think this is necessarily McClellan's last reincarnation with the Ravens. He could he could be back again. But, uh, uh, you know, they they decided that they needed the, the linebacker uh, less than a running back. And it's a little surprising because Gus Edwards will have to get less touches coming out of this. I, I don't I think it's possible that Buck Allen could end up being the odd man out at some point. It may be a case of injury, and and they let him go. But he's he's now in that same position where he's in his fourth year, and he'll be a UFA at the end of this year. All right. I think it it also has to say something about their trust of Lamar Jackson, because they don't have to carry three quarterbacks. That's yeah. That they're they're carrying a third quarterback on the roster. They're not carrying a third on the active right. I mean, uh, he's, side he, right. He's inactive each each week, but. Mm-hmm. Um, You're right. He's still taking up a roster spot, and they and and you know they could make McClellan just as easily inactive and right. and uh, and still maintain the rights to him. You know, it's it's a I, I don't know that I would pin it directly to the trust on Jackson. In fact, I think I might go the other way. 
that I think that Ty Montgomery's abilities may mesh really well with Jackson as far as putting in a very fast package uh, that, that can has a lot of RPO value. Okay. So, you know, the, the nice thing about Ty is that you don't know where he's going to line up. So you can line up in the backfield. He can line up. He can line up, a, you know, as a flanker or outside in the slot. Uh, you've got multiple options on where he lines up. So defenses call their defensive package based on who's on the field. And so they have to then, you know, call potentially a more pass, a, a more a stronger pass defense when Ty Montgomery is on the field. And that gives gotcha. you an option to run the ball. And, and that may mean Jackson himself running the ball, or it may mean, may mean Montgomery running the ball. But anyway, I think they're, they're complementary players. Gotcha. So when you have two, when you can put those two guys out on the field together where they can both do multiple things, mm-hmm. it's going to make the defense prepare even more. Yeah, or I have I think, to lean think, one side or the other. I, I think it's harder to scheme for. I think, in particular, when Jackson is split wide, it becomes a, uh, and and Montgomery is wherever, uh, it becomes a harder um, situation to defense because Flacco can do more for you in the passing game under those circumstances. Okay, and you can you can still run a reverse with Jackson right. do all the things you otherwise do. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. You mentioned that, that he could be used on third down, and let's start there because the Ravens. They shot themselves in the foot a lot this weekend, and it seemed like it all started with third and one, and not going for the QB sneak, but putting Lamar Jackson out on the field. Yeah, it was it was about one and a quarter to one and a half. It was in that range. It would have been a long QB sneak, but of course the Ravens have been tremendously successful with their QB sneaks this year, and never got less than two yards until they got a one yard conversion in this game. It was a little odd, maybe, that they did what they did, but the play was right there. It was to be had, and Arians made the point that Jackson uh, didn't throw on the ball. He tried to hand it to him, <laughs> you know, and, and it was, a, uh, it was a, a good way to put into words exactly what happened when he threw that ball so short to a wide-open receiver. So, uh, yeah, unfortunate play there. It was the first of many incidences, incidents where the Ravens shot themselves in the foot. You know, the, the very next play, they had a phantom illegal shift. Now, the Ravens didn't really shoot themselves in the foot on that one. I thought this was one where the, the officials really hosed the Ravens. I've looked at that play more than 10 times now. I cannot find any indication of an illegal shift. An illegal shift, there could, there's two possibilities. It can be because two players are moving. It can be because not all the players get set before the snap. All right? Now, you can have one guy in motion, of course, but, but the rest of the players are not set before right. the snap. So... It wasn't either of those things. They they set and they snapped the ball. In those situations, you always snap the ball quickly to to you know catch the defense as unaware as you can. So you'd expect that. And all of a sudden the guy on the sideline throws the flag thirty yards up, you know, thirty yards up in the air. It's an exaggeration, but he threw the he threw the flag way up in the air. And you know, all the Ravens are looking back saying, you know, what the heck happened here? And I don't think they really did anything wrong in the play. Now, if the call had been illegal formation instead of illegal shift, I could see that the linesman there would have been the one to call, who did throw the flag, in fact, would have been the one to call that safeties, or sorry, that the tackles were too far back and they didn't have seven men on the line of scrimmage. That'd be a possibility. But, you know, they knew this was coming. They, they apparently told the officials about this play before the game in their meeting, and it's still uh went off with a hitch. So that that was that was bothersome. I blame that one on the officials frankly looking at the play many times. Right. Oh, that that's a horrible uh way to start the game that early with the officials making a a big mistake like that then. Yeah. Huge mistake obviously. The the Ravens had just had a long drive and they just had 
given up a touchdown drive in response to, to the um, uh, Panthers. So this was a big one to, to, to not give the ball back immediately. And it, it was a big risk that the Ravens took yeah. running a play like that inside their own 15-yard line. In fact, I, I saw it written that that was the furthest back anybody had tried a fake fake punt in some number of years. I, so, it doesn't surprise me. It seemed crazy yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, speaking of penalties, with Snead, well, you mentioned Snead on the first ball where Lamar missed through it. Snead was having trouble catching the ball all Sunday, but he also had two offensive pass interference, which is rare. We don't see it a whole lot. It's, it's not a, you know, all that frequent a, a, a call, but Captain Munerlin, uh drew three flags on the Ravens in this game. So two of them were OPIs from Snead. And uh, it just it's it's bad news. He's their slot cornerback. He's been in the league a long time. And he's a guy that, uh, um, you know, I would not necessarily think that Snead could not outbreak him and get free of him. And I think he did a fair amount of that during the game. But just to have two OPIs called, I don't know. I have not looked yet at the at the all 22 to see how similar those flags were in terms of where Snead pushed off. But having two in the same game is is obviously terrible. And one of the great foot shots uh, of this one. Yeah, and it looked like Snead didn't even realize what he was doing or thought he was okay with what he was doing because to get caught on it both times and him kind of just – I mean, you're not going to – you're never going to really admit that he did it, but he seemed right. to be confused. Well, there, there was a, there's a couple things that, that I've heard before. I, uh, Sherman, the, the cornerback for the um, um, – for the uh, Seahawks, yes. said said once, you know, when he gets called for defense holding, that he immediately turned to the ref and said, "You're not going to call that on me every time." And he really means it. He knows that the officials can't make that call every single time, or they really get downgraded or looked down upon for taking over the game and making it about them as opposed to about the about the right. uh, play on the field. So. You know, maybe a case where Snead said, I, I'm, I can get away with it the second time because I didn't get away with it the first. And I, I really want to look at it for that particular reason just to see, you know, what happened on those plays. Right, because there's contact on every play. It's sure. just what they decide to whistle. Um, all right, what about this double pull? Well, I mean, that was ridiculous. I, I, Scott Garceau asked me about that yesterday, and I hadn't looked at it yet. I felt bad about it. But uh, what what happened on the play was – um, the Ravens um, pulled both Skura and um, uh, Grassu to the left. Now, you never see a play. You sometimes will see a play, it would be a counter play, where the two end linemen will pull in the, to the opposite side on a long pull. That, that's, that is not completely atypical. You never have two guys pull out of the middle in one direction. It's just it, it's not... I've never seen it done that way. And Yanda had what appeared to be a move to, to, to reach into the space and set up that would have been okay if only one lineman had pulled. And that tells me there's a good chance it probably should have been Skura on the play and not Grassu. It also, if, if anybody is going to get the play wrong, it's going to be the guy who's been with the team for less time and not the guy who's calling every offensive line snap. So I would air on the side of blaming Grassou for this, but in the scoring, I just gave them equal equal um, uh, cost for the thing. And to the Ravens, it doesn't really matter. I mean, the, uh, Kyle Love got in the backfield, and he drilled Collins, and, and, you know, unblocked. You can't really blame Collins for fumbling the ball when he just receives it, and, he, and you know, a very large lineman hits him. Uh, just a terrible play that, that, that gave the Panthers their second touchdown, and it was just bad news 
uh, all the way around. So uh, right. uh, anyway, that's where they were at that point, that double play, another way they, they did it to themselves. Yeah, you, you knew Harbaugh was putting that play on blame on the line because he, he immediately, next offensive drive, uh, put Collins back out there. There was no doghouse for Collins for public. Yeah, that's a good point. That's so, a so, really good point. So that's when I saw that, and I said, okay, they're not. he's not upset with Collins about that fumble. Um <laughs> The Lions had a really rough game on Sunday, and it wasn't just getting the Collins. They were getting the Flacco as well. Yeah, so Flacco got knocked down about seven times. There were three of those in a four-play sequence. So in the second half, when they were trying to make a comeback early in the, in the third quarter is when that happened. And they just could not figure out how to get Luke Keekley blocked up. So Keekley had two of the three quarterback hits in a three-play sequence at the end of the first drive of quarter three. Uh Bad series of events in terms of who got to, uh, who, who got him, but Skura got a piece of both of those. Uh, one was on a failed stunt pickup, the other was on a blitz by Keekley. and it's just he's a great linebacker, but you got to you got to be able to figure out how to pick up these these blitzes and stunts. And uh, the other uh, play in there, which was the really really costly one for the Ravens, Yonda actually failed to pick up a stunt, so it was Julius Pepper stunned to the inside on the third play of that drive, and. Yonda is supposed to pick him up, and he has to release the guy on his outside shoulder, and I don't remember who that was, whether it was Short or somebody else, but he didn't release him to Brown in order to go pick up Peppers, and Peppers slammed into Flacco, and, and Flacco rolled up on Stanley for the, the horrible injury. So uh, that was a very bad turn of events, obviously, there. All right. Um, well, let's, let's go straight into the Flacco being pressured to ample time and space, and let's look at how Joe did. Yeah, well, we always want to talk about that, right? So, uh, ample time space, Joe had a terrible opportunity set in this game. Dropped back 41 times, and I, I'm not including Jackson's passes in here, so it's just the right. 41 of his. 13 of those were ATS, 32%, by far the lowest percentage of the year so far. Uh, you know, Obviously, uh, not an acceptable number, but then you, you can still do something with that opportunity set. The lowest in any previous game was Cleveland. We had 42% early this year. Everything else has been between 42 and 53% other than other than this game. So you can see there's a big difference there. But Joe Flacco didn't do well with either opportunity set in this game. So with ATS, the few times he had it, he only averaged 5.2 yards per drop back and, uh, and had an interception with ATS, which is really bad. Uh, came in 37 yards short, and again, with an interception and 13 passes, that's really a, a terrible effort. And then without ATS, he threw a TD, but he also had an interception, averaged 3.9 yards per play. That's a fairly normal result for the yards per play, and I would say also that one interception every 28 dropbacks without ATS would be pretty normal too. So uh, not terribly below average, but a little below average there. Um, and uh, overall, it came up 45 yards short on expectation, which is his worst game of the year actually his second worst game of the year he's worse against cincinnati or cleveland when he was a minus 51 so uh he'd been positive in all the other games to date uh, other than those two all right um yeah and that i mean that's got to be partially this banged up line and uh we didn't we lose bozeman for a little bit this sunday and then we lost stanley for a few plays this sunday well we, we lost Bozeman got hurt last week, and Gressou came in for, I think, 12 plays last week. And Bozeman was active this week and probably would have started if it was his choice. But the Ravens were really trying to get by with six-and-a-half linemen. I think Bozeman was still banged up enough that they decided Gressou was the guy. And, I, you know, from playing this game, 
we're going to get to Grassu in a second, but you realize that that they they really had to make a hard choice. They would have rather had Bozeman under just about any circumstances. So uh, let's start with let's start with Ronnie Stanley though, since we always do start at left tackle. Yeah, let's talk about him. He, he was playing extremely well before the injury. He just two half charges, one for half a penetration when he wasn't quick enough crossing the formation to block Horton. Horton was unblocked. It's actually kind of a tough charge on that first drive. And then he also got pulled for by Mario Addison, who's the right defensive end, for a third of a quarterback hit charge in quarter two. But other than that, he was outstanding. He made almost every single block. I think he missed one additional block beyond that, make it two, and uh, scored an A for the game. Uh, you know, one of his better games uh, but Stanley has not had any, you know, he's only had one D this year, one other C. He's basically played very well all year and very consistently. And a loss of him at left tackle, you know, he's been one of the bedrocks for this team, you know, having a good passing game that has largely kept Flacco unfettered this season. And if they are to lose him for any significant amount of time, that'll be a huge detriment to the offense. It's it's probably the most serious injury at this point the Ravens can can sustain. I would have said that it was Flacco earlier, but I think we, we've gone far enough with Lamar Jackson that a Flacco injury, while very serious, could still be overcome by a Lamar starter too. But Stanley not being at left tackle, that's a very, very serious injury. All right. And uh, do we have any word on that as far as uh, looking ahead? We don't know yet. No, I think they're, they're keeping it not, not undisclosed. Uh, Harbaugh is very, very tight with injury news, as you know. Right. He was seen leaving the locker room with a walking boot. That's all I've heard in terms of reporting. Uh, but other than that, I, I don't have any information. All right. And then when Wednesdays is when we start getting a little bit of information, right? Yeah, Wednesday's the first practice. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday are the practices. They'll have an injury report that comes out of Wednesday's practice, and we'll see uh, what's up with right, that. Who played. All right, uh, Grisou. Awful, awful game. Uh, we were we hadn't had a real fall off the table game really at any position. Uh, this this game was right on the margin of a just completely fall off the table game. He he uh, he had four pressures allowed. He allowed a quarterback hit. He was the primary on on the one sack that the line allowed. Hurst got beaten on his block uh, for a sack, but uh, Gressou gave up two thirds of the sack effectively by allowing the the pocket to be pressured when he failed to pick up. Uh, a blitzer, Eric Reed. Uh, but anyway, a terrible game for him. Uh, 0.58 per play. Uh, it's a F any way you slice it before or after adjustment. Uh, but uh, you know, probably the signature play from this game is the double pull, where I would guess Gressu is probably the person who was who was at fault. But he's the he's the guy who um, uh, certainly would have been in the better position not to know the exact call. I want to point back for a second to people and just remember Alex Lewis's play. Alex Lewis has been frustrating people this year because he's been a middle-of-the-road left guard, not particularly great, certainly, but but not terrible either. And he just rounded a shape with a couple B games, the final two that he played. He has he didn't have anything close to the kind of bad game that Grisou had in this one. So, you know, appreciate sometimes you just got to appreciate what you have after it's gone. Bozeman as well got very poorly rated by PFF. But I thought he really had a pretty darn good game in the one game. So I'm really, we're very hopeful that he returns. Uh, also that Lewis can return. And honestly, Lewis now has to be considered as part of the potential solution at left tackle if he can play again. Because uh, he's one of the players who may have to be kicked out to either tackle spot to, uh, to get that hole shored up. All right. So appreciate average. Mm-hmm. Because it can always be go. worse. 
Um, all right, no good, no uh, good news on this offensive line. Does that continue with Skura? Yeah, unfortunately, yes. Uh, Skura had another tough game. So this is third bad game out of four. Uh, a D in this one. Uh, gave up a pressure. Uh, he, he was party to three different quarterback hits. So you'll see in my article he had 2.17 quarterback hits. That's a third. Sorry, that's one plus a half plus two thirds. That's how you get to a number like 2.17. It's two and a sixth. Um, that's a, that's a you know a bad day for a center in particular where they don't tend to give up as many pass rush events. Um, he was party to one penetration. That's the one, of course, where he pulled uh, along with Gressu. Uh, a D after adjustment. Just not a lot to like in terms of what he's doing. He did lead the team in level two blocks with six in this game. But uh, one problem that the, entire, the line had as a whole, and Skura was definitely part of, is that they were asked to pull on six separate occasions, and they scored a total of minus one on those six pulls. So it, minus one out of one for Stanley, zero out of two for Grassou, zero out of three for Skura. So uh, just an awful game of pull blocking in this one. All right. Um, all right but Marshall Yanda's always a uh, bright spot in this line. Uh, always the he is the north star of this offensive line and uh, you know he hadn't he had a false start early and unfortunately he had the quarterback hit allowed by not picking up the stunt from peppers which ended up getting getting stanley rolled up now you know you don't like to ascribe the cost of that but you don't like your quarterback hit either so every one of those is serious nonetheless yanda made his other blocks in general had a good game um uh, 0.86 per play with adjustment it's an a and it's, it's six straight games of an A- minus or A for, for Yanda. All right, that's good. That's, uh, that's a bright spot on a banged-up, ugly line. There you um, go. Orlando Brown Jr. had to face up against Julius Peppers a bunch. Yeah, so that was a very tough matchup for him, and he had to do it with much less help. And let me explain this, because we talked about this a little bit in previous shows, but there's several ways that can help the linemen. So one is they can run on balance, and they did that a lot with Hurst. With Brown, they did do it one time in this game where they moved him over to the left side and tucked him in with Stanley on the outside, which effectively is making him play guard and makes his pass-blocking responsibilities much early, easier. So that was what, one thing they did to help him. They had six set blocks on his side of the line. Now, those were a combination of tight ends and the running back. Um, but but that, that's not a lot. That's about average for a game, and particularly the way the Ravens have helped their tackles. Six set blocks is pretty normal. What was really unusual is they stopped chip blocking entirely on his side. They had zero in this game. Now, we've been seeing nine chip blocks, eight chip blocks with Hurst in there. And and this was, a, you know, really leaving Brown on an island a little bit to deal with a pass rusher who can still get around the edge a little bit in Julius Peppers. He uses his hands very well. He's not as fast as he used to be, but he still is an extremely effective uh, pass rusher. And he did generate some some very significant pressure against Brown. Brown beat him. Uh, these were not all peppers, but he but he gave up five pressures. Uh, he had a half a quarterback hit. He gave up that actually was somebody else, and he gave up a third of the charge for the sack that was primarily Grassou. So Brown allowed the phone booth, the, the the pocket to be phone boothed on that play. And even though it was Grassou who who allowed the initial pressure, which caused the pocket to be flushed. I gave Brown one third of the uh, of the charge for it because of his phone boothing, so it, it works out to .63 per play, which is on the low side. I gave him an enormous adjustment in this game, and there are two reasons for it. One is he's facing Peppers, that's a, a, above the uh, replacement level player, which which is which probably would grant him about .06 in Peppers' case 
uh, at this point in his career. But the other thing he got is he had the probably the block of the year for the offensive line so far. Uh, he drove Wes Horton, who is not a small guy. He's six. He's 265 pounds. Drove him from the right hash all the way out of bounds on an early play, five-yard run by Collins on second and 14. Pushed him all the way out of bounds. And then Don Tari Poe, who was on the sidelines for the play, not playing, came back and shoved him and got a 15-yard personal foul that converted the, the first down for the Ravens on what would have been then a third and nine. Just one of the great instigation plays of the entire year. And it's if you watch this thing, I'm surprised they didn't pick up on it on air exactly what had happened because they certainly caught the penalty right. and they had to talk about that. But but the, it's, the great thing is Orlando Brown just driving Horton all the way to the sideline. That's funny. Um, uh, I was surprised CBS didn't go with this storyline, so maybe it doesn't exist. But uh, I was wondering about this because Julius Peppers has been in the league for 16 years, since 2002, and... Orlando Brown Sr. retired in 2006. Did they ever match up together? Uh, they would have matched up. Let's see. if, they, if he, Brown was with the Ravens in 2006, and I'm trying to remember if he was or not. No, he, they was, would with, have he was with the Ravens through 2003. Then he was okay. uh, Then he was out west. Okay, well, was the, Panthers, the Raiders. The, the Ravens lost to the Panthers in Carolina in the 2002 opener. That was really the, the big stinger that said the dynasty might be over. Uh, you know, two-year dynasty, right. but still, and and they, he might—they certainly might have played in that game. Okay. Uh, it would have been Pepper's rookie year, but since Pepper's was a high draft pick, I think he probably would have been starting already for Carolina, or or certainly right. at least playing regularly. I just thought if that match—it's kind of cool to have that type of matchup, and was surprised CBS didn't have something on that, right? Because um, I, I, I mean, Suggs and he have been in the league for a similar amount of time. Right. Suggs for sixteen years, him for seventeen. So yeah, they're two of the old guys left in the league. And they really tried to push that storyline on CBS about the old guys looking young. Um, all right, behind the line, let's talk about Alex Collins. Well, I I, oh, I just want to mention Illuminor came in and he he, he okay. came in and played for Stanley, and he actually played very well. Uh, Nineteen snaps. I thought he'd allowed one pressure, and then I looked at it again. And I go, no, he really did a good job. He pushed his guy past the pocket on that play. So I scored his only one missed block the entire game, uh, 18 out of 19. Uh, you know, it's below the threshold for having a grade, but it, it's one really nice thing to have happen. If Jermaine Illuminor could come through and contribute at any position for the Ravens, it'd be really nice. And his pass, pass blocking looked good in this game, such that you know he's kind of a you know one of the guys who can be an earth mover for the Ravens. It would be nice if they could fit him in somewhere. And uh, and and get some value out of him, or if if the, he's forced into action at least again, that he could he could provide a a decent performance at least for the Ravens. Right, right, sure. Um, all right, now we can move on to to Collins. Um, Collins had a one good run, mm -hmm. big run in the game, but at the same time, I think Flacco had a big run and Lamar had a big run. So what does that mean when your running back's not the guy? leading in in these in these large runs well i mean for one thing that there was a that was on a three-play sequence and that it happened that lamar flacco and collins all had runs of 10 yards or more and that had not happened in a game in a while that actually there's i think the 2017 might have been 16 season finale 
against the Bengals was the last time it happened. Right? There's a guy online who is really wonderful with the Pro Football Reference database okay. who always can, can look out here, and uh, uh, he's King Moose, I, I, if you if you want to look him up. But uh, he, he does a great job of looking these things up for me when I want this stuff. Not my technical forte there, right. but uh, – but uh, certainly he's very good with that. Anyway, anyway he, he found that uh, formula. They had three plays over 10 yards in a row, capped off by the Collins run. And uh, uh, it, was a, it was a great run. I mean, you stopped, and uh, he got out of the tackle and, and continued on for the touchdown. And a uh, lot to like about it. I thought, it, in general, he, he did very well, with the exception of being caught in the backfield for the big loss on the one play. Uh, Average 4.5 yards a carry despite that. And, uh, you know, I, I've got nothing negative to say really about about Collins performance in this game. I wish he had held on to the football, but, you know, it it definitely was not his fault primarily in that case. All right. Um, are you ready to call Hurst a bust yet? Uh, well, I'm happy that Hurst is on the board with a 26 yard TD. I wouldn't draw too much in the way of conclusions from it based on what had happened. It, it can be kind of easy to pick up. Uh, yardage during uh, garbage time. And I will say this, that it looked to me like the Panthers secondary made one or more career decisions not to put, lean their shoulder into Hurst near the goal line there. So he, he uh, was allowed to cross in without contact where if the score had been different, I think it would have been handled differently right, by those hard. players. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, we mentioned at the top, we brought in Ty Montgomery, is that a big uh, showing, uh, basically, a response on Buck Allen? Well, I I think I can't help but get to that point in terms of conclusion. Uh, You know, so uh, Buck Allen has not been a high yards per touch here. He's averaging 2.6 yards per carry. As a receiver, he's averaging, what, about 6 yards per carry, I think it is, 6.3 yards per carry. So it's not like he's been a high yards per touch guy. That's been one of the knocks on him. He did have a nice little rowdy ran and got into the end zone to kind of get the Ravens back into the game at 27-14 briefly. But uh, this just they're not using him on run plays anymore. I don't know if that means he might be hurt. But uh, I think that they're kind of just have come to the end of the rope in terms of Buck Allen if they're picking up Ty Montgomery. They're invested a seventh-round draft pick. Even if it's a 2020 seventh-round draft pick, so it has to be discounted. They're inventing, investing a draft pick and getting this guy for half a season. So they think he has value, and I can't help but think they think he has more third-down value than Buck Allen. I just can't, I, I can't come to any other conclusion. And that may be because Allen's hurt, or it may be because they just feel like he has more value even when healthy. All right. Uh, a couple wide receivers. Let's start with Snead, and uh, he's been dropping the ball. Yeah, he, I, that is one of the things I don't think we talked about was that he, dro- he dropped the pass that was unfortunate. And, and it, it wasn't just a matter of uh, having the, the, the penalties. And he, he's been one of Flacco's most consistent targets this year. He's caught at least three balls in every game. He's, you know, he's been targeted now seven times or more in the last five games. And he's only, you know, he's had five targets. has been the minimum he's had any game this year. So it's not like he's not the go-to guy still. It just he, he needs to be more consistent about, about catching the ball, I'd say. And, uh, you know, we've said that about all of these receivers, it seems like, in rotation with Crabtree having, having the bad start to the year. And, uh, you know, John Brown has had some, some games where he's, you know, caught three out of seven or four out of 14 balls. And it's, uh, you know, you just you need to do more than that to, to right. get the what- ball. What is your feeling on Crabtree now after he kind of got out of that slump? 
Yeah, he, I, he he did get out of the slump. He's He didn't get as many targets in this one. He's only targeted five times. I, I think what I'm bothered by more is, in terms of the vertical game, he does seem to have opportunities behind the secondary occasionally, and he does not seem to have the speed necessary to run down the football. And that's bothered me a couple of times now recently, where he's just been behind the secondary, down the sideline frequently, and he just cannot seem to quite get there. And Flacco is kind of known for underthrowing receivers more than overthrowing them, despite the very big arm he has. And so it's a little surprising to me that that a receiver like Crabtree, uh, you know, would not find himself in the right place. I think it really is a matter at this point in his career that his speed is just not what it once was, and he's, uh, you know, he'll have to deal with that and find other ways to contribute. All right. Uh, let's get to the film study mailbag. You get in your questions by commenting on the Russell Street Report articles or uh, over on Twitter using the hashtag film study mailbag. All right, Ken, uh, here's the first one up. If we, <clears throat> this person's looking ahead, if we suffer a loss next week, as in this week against the Steelers, would it then be time to put Lamar Jackson in for the rest of the season? Okay, here's my answer on that in general, is that you, you can always make the judgment by injury, for starters, and then you can, then you can put in Jackson whenever is appropriate. You can, you can make the judgment on the eighth loss. And the reason I say the eighth is because the Ravens still have a pretty good chance to make the playoffs at 9-7 and seven this season. They, they would do it if the, um, the two things need to happen. One is the rest of the conference needs to not have two teams that are 9-7 and seven or better, which I think is pretty likely, actually. The... the, the L.A. Chargers or the Chiefs are going to win the division in the West, and then the other one is probably going to win the wild card with a record of better than than ten and six or better certainly. But the the other team that's a problem is the Bengals because the Ravens have to out they have to have a better record than the Bengals, and the Ravens have all of their games in division coming up, and so there's still a pretty good chance I think that they can end up with a better divisional record and the, and the tiebreaker over the Bengals. So the the first choice will be. Of course, for head to head, and then and then the, the divisional record comes second. So uh, I think they've got a reasonable chance to win the tiebreaker against the Bengals. The Bengals could also finish with only eight wins, or the Bengals could win the division, and the Steelers could could uh, uh, drop back. And if you look at the gamblers right now, they're saying the Ravens are the second most likely to win the division still, and and you only get two point five to one right now, five to two. Uh, on them winning the division. So they're saying it's uh, the chance for the Ravens to win is probably between 25 and and, uh, and two-sevenths, which would be about 28.6%. Th- their chance to win is probably somewhere in there on the division. Now, that's high, but you know the gamblers are generally right when it comes to how they bet their money uh, as opposed to people who do so by other methods. Right, right, sure. So anyway, that's point. Point got back to Flacco. Let me tie this all together. I don't think you. I don't think you put Flacco in until the Ravens suffer their eighth loss. Jackson. I think then. Then sorry, Jackson. Then then you have Jackson for the for the remainder of the season, and you can decide next year how you how you move forward. What they're doing with Jackson is actually very good to ease him into a larger role. They're giving him more and more plays of more and more different types to run each week, and they're trying to take advantage of what he can do. They've made a trade here that I think is going to accentuate his value in a lot of ways. Um, I, I don't think what they're doing is a bad course of action at all for a rookie quarterback. The other rookie quarterbacks around the league are all struggling, and it just doesn't seem like a bad course of action at all to, to do this with uh, with Jackson. All right. Um, what can you point to as why Cam did whatever he wanted to against our defense? 
Well, uh, the, the big problem with the Ravens in this game was, was the failures against misdirection. And that absolutely killed the Ravens. And I'm including broader than just misdirection here. I'm saying when they tried to be aggressive in every way, Cam seemed to have the answer. One is when they ran the slot blitz, they, they threw the ball to the hot read. When, they, when Cam rolled out of the pocket slightly to the right, and we've had our little discussion about that intentional grounding call, but when he started to roll out of the pocket, Kenny Young left his spot early. Now, he's supposed to blitz at some point, but he left his spot early, and that left an 18-yard pass to D.J. Moore open. They failed to, to cover the reverse uh, on the back end, and they allowed a big play to Moore that way. They failed to be able to get to the sideline in times, despite the fact that Moore had a fumble and picked it up on the gravy hop to try and you know cut down on that. And then finally, Jimmy Smith and Weddle lost position on the backside roll by Newton off play action. By the way, anytime Cam Newton turns his back to the field, you probably know it's either a play action pass or it's going to be a run. There's no reason to believe it's going to be an actual run because they run almost everything in this read option format these days where they, where they want to hand the ball off that way. But when he turns his back to the field, it's probably going to be a pass or a run by Newton. I would thought that that would have been fairly obvious to them. And uh, Smith and Weddle both lost their position in the back end. Easy walk-in, um, you know, Hail Mary touchdown for Newton there. All right. Um, let's keep on the defense a little bit longer. And this person, Zach, is saying, it seems like the middle of the field continues to be open business when we're in the zone D. Uh, how much of it is scheme versus personnel issues, and how do you fix it? Okay, well, it's, that's a very hard question and is the Ravens' absolutely biggest weakness, and other teams are playing to it because the Ravens have big strengths at a lot of other positions in the secondary. So because the Ravens' you know, back four shell is strong and Tavon Young is a very strong slot corner, they're trying to not go after those guys. Okay, And much as it seems like you, know, you see Jefferson get burned or this or that, honestly, compared to the rest of the league, which is getting, you know, burn up like French toast around the league, you know, it's, it's nothing. And, and the only guy who's having trouble right now in the secondary right now is Jimmy Smith. But to get back to the, to the, to the question at hand is how do, you, how do you stop that hole between level two and level three from being a place where the, the other team takes advantage of you? There's only one player on the Ravens who really has the skills you want to cut down on the lane, and, that, and that's Levine. He's in there on passing downs, but that means you have to get the third down and medium to get him on the field. Mosley has that much of that talent. Uh, he'd shown more in the past, but to some combination of injuries and ineffectiveness this year, he's not getting it done. He's getting very picked on. And Kenny Young is a pure downhill player. He's a great guy to cover a screen pass and to, to run in and, and make a tackle when you have to converge on a player who's caught a short pass. He's a terrible guy for, for understanding anything about what's going on behind him on the play, as we saw on the 18-yard completion of Moore in this game. So I it's, it's, it's a complex situation, but it's, it's more of the, the rest of the, the team is, is good in coverage, and that's forcing the quarterbacks to look over the middle and in this empty hole zone, and, and they're, that's really accentuating how much those players are getting picked on. Gotcha. Um, that also leads into Andy's question, who's got the concern I think all of us have, is the Ravens' defense fell so much apart this past week that is it something that other teams remaining on the schedule can just look to the tape and copy this to beat us every game? You know, that is a great question, and I think this is going to be a good coaching question for the Ravens, is how much can they learn from this failure that just occurred? And Bruce Arians made the point on air. He said, don't, don't just slough this off. To, you know, really look at this film and try and figure out what went wrong. And the Ravens 
are going to constantly be playing a balancing act between having a very aggressive defense, which they want to, and having a defense that stays at home and knows how to patrol the backside. And I think sometimes maybe part of this has got to be you got to have designated containment players every play, and and you know you green light others. And that was the way of P's defense is that he had more of that where you know you designated certain players to do it, and then you you put a red light on certain guys. So certain guys on the pass rush, they're they're there to contain. They're not there to try and push the pocket too much or or to uh, you know see if they can beat the outside the tackle with speed. They're they're there to try and contain things. Well, you know, they did some of that in this game because they they tried to not twist, for example, but it didn't matter. They, every other thing they found, uh, every, every other time the Ravens were not in position, Newton was able to take advantage of it. I, I personally think it's going to be harder for teams to do that on the road against the Ravens when things are very loud and whatnot. I hope they're very loud at the bank, but uh, you know it's, it is definitely a concern if the Ravens don't learn from the film on this game, I'd be very concerned about the coaching. And I would look at that in terms of who gets retained for next year is did they learn from this game? What can you point to that they learned from this game? All right. Interesting. Uh, Minion is concerned that we uh, traded for a running back, but we still have a banged up offensive line leading the charge for him. How do we fix this offensive line when there was no one available? Is it all about health? Well, I, I think obviously, you know, having Stanley healthy is the biggest potential concern. But that's not an action item. That's a hope. You know, hope hope is not a strategy, as as a you know former CEO used to say. But uh, uh, there's not that much they can do with the O line, and yet there's never been more need for you know a good set of offensive line coaches that I think the Ravens have. You know, in in the combination of Roman and Dallas Andrus, really have to make lemons sorry lemonade out of lemons with this group yet again they got a bunch of guys who are just above the replacement level and they're going to have to try and figure out how to use them and yanda try and move brown as quickly as possible into a star level or at least a, a you know a good player level and try and get the best they can out of three guys from center to left side whoever those are hopefully stanley's included then it becomes less of a challenge but they need to figure out who they've who Who's going to be playing? I think what we're going to hope is that, uh, you know, the left guard, we're back to Lewis at some point, or maybe we're back to Hurst. Maybe Hurst is even the answer again at left tackle. But whatever the case, they've got to try and find a way to minimize the damage there. And they're going to also try and need to scheme to cover their weaknesses on that left side of the line. There just is not an answer out there in trade. I don't think that they, they left stones unturned. I think they looked. Um, you know, it's a case where you certainly would not want to trade away everything you had to get offensive line talent this year. I don't think that's, you know, a worthwhile uh, thing. I think they, they should have limits to it, and they and they probably did. Uh, and, and I also think that just offensive line talent league-wide, there, there just wasn't that much. So it's it's the onus is on the coaches. Figure out how to get the most you possibly can out of the players you got. All right. Um, let's get to Connor, who is wondering if, in case Stanley does go down, is there a chance they would move Orlando Brown over to left tackle? Yeah, I think it's possible. I, 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 from what I saw from Orlando Brown out of this game, I would say it's possible they might prefer to have Hurst at left tackle or even give Illuminor another shot after 19 snaps of playing well. I mean, it's hard for me to say exactly who would end up there if Stanley was not. Uh, Alex Lewis has to be part of the discussion. Alex Lewis played poorly in three games at tackle in his rookie season. 
but I think you still got to you got to entertain the possibility. Desperate times call for desperate measures, and the Ravens don't have don't have another backup tackle. This is something I really wanted at the beginning of the year. I thought it was very important that Greg Sanat make this roster and be a guy that that uh, could be around if Stanley went down at any point. And uh, you know the Ravens don't have him at this point, so they're they are where they are, and they're not going to have a you know a regular left tackle of the prototypical pass blocking type that they want all right uh just a couple more questions um another one with the offensive line have you noticed any difference with the run blocking schemes this year compared to last year um yes i mean they there there definitely are differences uh every year i think there are differences but uh, in terms of similarities there's there's a lot too they still run their power game primarily to the right last year it was behind austin howard this year it's behind a combination of brown and and hurst some um they've used less i think of patrick ricard this year uh than they had than they did last year i would say ricard got about 50 percent more snaps last year and i have not checked to make sure that's true but uh that's just my my hand wavy uh view of the thing uh they've uh had less of the multi-poles there were a lot of one gap poles that the ravens did last year they have less of those this year um they would often have poles going uh, two one-gap poles or even two poles in opposite directions on the same play, which seems kind of strange, but it will occasionally allow you to split a gap in the middle of the field. Uh, so, so that is possible. I know they had a famous one in the preseason where uh, they had two linemen run into each other, but uh, but in the, in the um, uh, regular season, I haven't really seen much in the way of of two gap poles this year as opposed to last. So, there, yeah, there are differences in scheme, but... Uh, uh, you know, I think if there's anything I trust about the team, it's their ability to try and scheme for decent runs given the resources they have. The problem is they really haven't had uh, a, um, a a lot of good linemen to make to make good blocks on this. But B, they haven't had a breakaway run yet, so they haven't had a 75 yard run or anything that will increase yards per carry significantly. The longest run of the year so far is uh, is still not very long. It's probably in the 20 or 30 yard range. Uh, but uh, but anyway, not uh, not real impressive. Sure, sure. So just lo- looking at it real qu- quickly, the longest run the Ravens have had this year is 15 yards by Ken. Uh, that's not true. Lamar Jackson had a 22 yard run. Alex Collins had a 19. Javorius Allen had a seven, 17. Dixon a 15. Flacco a 13. Edwards an 11. But no run over 22 yards in eight games is really not good. Right, sure. Um, and that gets us to the tight ends, and. Uh, the question coming in about the tight ends is with the Ravens running on a two tight end set, should we see, should Andrews and Hurst be on the field more, even though that gives up some of the run blocking potential? Well, I mean, that's a, that's a trade off. They have to decide that if they make, and they have to make less of that trade off. If Hurst was actually the blocker, he was advertised to be, then you could have Hurst in line and Andrews as a split tight end as we were kind of salivating over on draft day. Uh, right now, Boyle and Williams are way ahead of them as blockers, and Williams wasn't even active in this last game. Boyle is going to be their primary as an inline tight end, and what that ends up meaning is he just plays more snaps. So just looking at this last game in terms of snaps played, I'm sure Boyle led, but uh, in terms of the the tight ends, yeah, Boyle had 31, Hurst had 30 in this game, and, and Andrews was cut to 22 for the tight ends. They did have Ricard in for a couple of games where he was actually lined up at a couple of plays as lined up as a tight end as well. So uh, anyway, it's uh, 
I, I think they are where they are. I think they're still going to have to rely on Boyle for more snaps, even though they'd love to get two receivers on the field like Hurston Andrews, as the, as the question suggests. Do you, do you think the injury to Hurst really affected his blocking skills? No, I, th- I think he probably was oversold to the fans as a block inline blocking tight end. And it was he's probably a good college blocker who looks to me way too small physically to be a really top NFL blocker. I mean, he's not he's not built like Nick Boyle is, not right. in any way, shape, or form. So, uh, could, that know, I think, be I a, think, could that be a year two? Get him in, yeah. get him in the gym this off season, and he he could certainly get a lot bigger and stronger. And he's a receiver primarily, so I think the Ravens want to be careful that they don't over muscle bind a guy like him. But yeah, I I, I would agree. He certainly can put on. Uh, some muscle. You just want to make sure you don't put on a lot of weight that is going to reduce his speed in his case. Gotcha. Um, all right, Ken, what is over on Russell Street Report? As far as the show goes this week, there is not a new Know Your Foe this week because we've already broken down the Steelers. Um, in fact, we should probably share that episode later this week to get people ready for the Steelers game as well, kind of a reposting of that episode. But no new Know Your Foe. So this is the, this is the final episode of the week. That's that's right. Final episode of the week. Then we'll have the Steelers, and and then we'll have the bye week coming up after that. So just in terms of our plans for how we're going to go forward with that, we'll do the Steelers. Um, uh, we'll do the Steelers uh, episodes, of course. And that'll be two of those. Then we won't have a Know Your Foe episode that week because we won't have an opponent. But we'll do two episodes evaluating the roster at midseason. Go go through the five categories that we typically use, and we'll we'll break down the roster that way. And then we'll have a Know Your Foe episode prior to the game against Cincinnati when they come back. And I, I, I do like one thing about the schedule, by the way, that the Ravens got the coming off the bye week against Cincinnati because they had to play that Thursday at Cincinnati early on. So it's, a, it's not as good by any stretch, but at least it's a little something to come off a bye and, and, and play the Bengals uh, right. to get a little something back. So, so you don't want to do an hour uh, know your foe on what the Ravens are going to be facing sitting on their butts watching TV next Sunday? <laughs> yeah, I know. I do, we do not want to do that. So, yeah. um, All right, Ken. Uh, let's point everyone to the article over on Russell Street Report. Okay, so anyway, it's 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 out there. Follow me at Film Study Ravens as well. Josh Tone about Birdland Sports slash Radio. Yeah, hey, you got it. You got it right. Almost <laughs> you started uh, Birdland Sports. Um, really working on a new website to make. Everyone's been very patient with this show and how we've had some hiccups with the the players not working some sometimes as soon as the show comes out. And uh, we thank you for that. We're working on a rewrite that that'll be fixed in a, probably about two weeks. But uh, over there, you can find lots of great shows like Film Study, Section 336, Dage View, which is your perfect lunchtime show. Uh, the guys at Birdland BS are killing it over there right now. And we also have Neutral Zone Infraction and Offside Position as well, which takes a broader uh, look at the NFL and other sports. Okay, so it's, it's, it's more general to sports, and it, but it's, it's still Ravens-focused? It's still local-focused. A lot of... Uh, I guarantee they're going to, after today, I guarantee they're going to get into Terps talk. Okay. Yeah, so. very good. Okay, and I have one other plug to make here, and, and it's really a, a question. And so if you're still listening at this point in the, in the podcast, you must really love the podcast because it's easy to go to the next one, isn't it? So anyway, the, the question is this. We've, we've had talks uh, with a local restaurant about the possibility of having a uh, either a happy hour or a meal that would include a component of film analysis or, or football analytics modeling with it. 
And I'm, I'm trying to gauge interest in this. The best place, obviously, is for people interested in the podcast. It'd be out in the Timonium or Cockeysville area. We'd be doing this uh, somewhere, you know, north of north of Towson. But anyway, uh, send send any kind of message on Twitter or email, however you'd like to communicate. Uh, let me know if you'd have interest in something like that. It probably would be a modest charge for dinner or a moderate charge. Uh, I would not be trying to make any money off the deal, just trying to publicize the website a little bit. Uh, and you probably get a free T-shirt included in that. So anyway, the question is, would, would people like to go to a film study night if there was one? And a cool chance where we talk through a lot of plays here, but where you'll actually be able to walk it through on, on some video. That's right. So we, we have access to a screen there and we'd, we'd have that show some of the modeling techniques. I know one thing is a lot of people have, have expressed interest in getting into analytics modeling. You know, this might be the perfect opportunity to talk to some people about that and show kind of you know, how you might select what data you want to collect when you're when you're looking at a problem. So anyway, uh, right. let me know if you have interest in that kind of a event. All right. Sounds good, Ken. Well, uh, enjoy Rivalry Week and get ready for the Steelers this weekend. All right, thanks, Josh. Hope we have something good to talk about next time. All right. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.